Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. have done. Um, are you concerned about this rift within the Catholic Church and are you concerned about this action? Say again? The Catholic bishops are moving on this resolution that would pre- pre- prevent you and, and others who've um, supported abortion from receiving communion. Are you concerned about the rift in the Catholic Church and how do you feel personally about that? That's a private matter and I don't think that's going to happen. Thank you. <laughs> In the promised land, you talk about hope. The country is built on hope. Pioneers, abolitionists, civil rights workers. You ran on hope. We are choosing hope over fear. And sending a powerful message that change is coming to America. We're now in 2021 and we have the pandemic, the insurrection, um, racial reckoning. A lot of people feel like they've lost hope. Mm-hmm. How how can people get that hope back? I've just got to say, if and I'm looking at everything that happened, uh, starting with a special relationship, contrasting that with Donald Trump regularly insulting uh, Theresa May, uh, going on to the G7, contrasting that with Donald Trump constantly uh, being an irritant, asking where Vlad is. Why isn't this a G8? Why aren't we inviting the Russians? Uh, and, and instead, the G7 could focus on how they were going to push back on Russian aggression. Uh, you go to NATO, uh, instead of Donald Trump pushing people out of the way to get to the front, again, it was more of a collective effort between all of the NATO partners, uh, as it has been traditionally. And then, of course, the meeting with Russia. I've been going back uh, through my mind. Maybe uh, maybe you can come up with a better week in American diplomacy overseas uh, over the past 20 years in the 21st century. I've been trying to figure it out over the past uh, past 12 hours. I can't think of a more successful diplomatic trip in the 21st century than this one. This is a very practical man who believes in these ideals, who believes that uh, diplomacy is hard work. As you say, it's meat and potatoes. Uh, you just keep plugging. And there was, yeah, here, I guess my interesting, my insight watching the press conference yesterday was 
There was a, a kind of poetry in his prose. Late Tuesday afternoon, we witnessed this group of about 30 migrants emerge from the brush behind us, also in La Jolla. Many of them appearing to be exhausted in the blistering sun. They sat down, waiting for an overstretched border patrol to find them. There were no agents in the immediate area, as the agency continues to be overwhelmed here in the Rio Grande Valley. Some of the migrants told me they never heard Kamala Harris's message to them. Y no escuchaste el mensaje de Kamala Harris que no, no vengas aquí en la frontera? Oh, no, no escuchamos. President Biden back from his first overseas trip. The highlight, or at least the pinnacle, was this face-to-face meeting with Vladimir Putin. And so much of what came out of it has been put in juxtaposition with the meeting between Vladimir Putin and the last U.S. president, Donald Trump. And welcome back to Flavor Politic Podcast. It's the 19th of June, year of our Lord, 2021. And that's a good bumper. NASCAR's back in Nashville. We watched the race last night. Can't go because uh, the wife didn't want to with her knee. So we're missing out on it's been a decade since I've been here, but I wanted to cover it anyway. Good race. You got uh, Biden and Deer in the Headlight, which we're not going to cover that a lot today because we have some pointed subjects. The media asking how we can get back to hope. That's how we got where we're at now. His partisanship, his indoctrinating the federal government to be woke is why we've lost hope. You have a guy on MSDNC saying there is some poetry poetry to his prose that's because that guy wrote his speech he's a writer for the president but he's on msdnc you got the border which we're not going to cover a lot today and the crux of what this whole russia trip was was literally just the media jerking off and being able to go he's not trump didn't accomplish anything and as we'll see he gave away everything so clearly um as i tweeted on twitter and it's been reliked about 40 times i guess we're not doing putin owns the potus anymore because he's giving shit away pipelines and all sorts of stuff as we'll see so basically potent Putin made POTUS his bitch, but we don't do that anymore. We don't even care, and how we're going to start our show today, when he yells at reporters, because CNN wasn't upset one bit. Why are you so confident he'll change his behavior, Mr. President? Yeah, I'm not confident. What the hell? What do you do all the time? So when did I say I was confident? You I said, said the next six I months. Said, you'll be able to what I said was, let's get it straight. I said, what will change their behavior is that the rest of the world reacts to them and it diminishes their standing in the world. I'm not confident of anything. I'm just stating the fact. But given his past behavior has not changed, and in that press conference, after sitting down with you for several hours, he denied any involvement in cyber attacks. He downplayed human rights abuses. He even refused to say Alexei Navalny's name. So how does that account to a constructive meeting as president? President Putin, President. You don't understand that. You're in the wrong uh, Jeff Zeleny, uh, you were listening uh, as carefully as anyone. What did you think? Well, if it was clear when President Biden was answering Caitlin's question there, he said he's not confident at the behavior of President Putin. But one thing he is confident in his new role 
on the world stage as he considers the last several days, the last week indeed, of traveling across Europe, really leading into this point. He is leaving his first foreign trip, declaring it a success or at least on the pathway to it. But the reality is, as he said himself, we will not know exactly if it's a success for the next three months, six months and beyond to see if Russia changes its behavior. But Wolf, it is quite striking to just see the confidence in his approach, in his tone as he really handles all of this. He did not go point by point rebutting uh, everything that Vladimir Putin said. There was a discussion among White House aides what he should talk about. But in the end, he ended up talking about at this press conference essentially what he had planned to going into it. He uh, you know, certainly um, was comfortable in that moment taking off his jacket, uh, answering these questions from some top foreign policy reporters in the audience that he doesn't always call on. Wolf, as we assess this trip, this is why Joe Biden ran for president. This is why he decided to come back into the arena to challenge former President Donald Trump, because he wanted to strengthen the transatlantic alliance. He wanted to take America's democratic ideals abroad. Now he has the job before getting on a plane as you know, all of the really images and the narrative from this summit is set. He wanted to take that off the table. But we have seen uh, President Biden do that. Frequently. What we've not seen him do is answer questions uh, like that without his aides screaming at him to stop. I have never seen a president covering the last four of them who is so protected by his aides in terms of uh, often not wanting him to answer some questions for us, Caitlin, because I want to play for our viewers what the president said to the Air Force One press pool, uh, and he made that gesture to go back and speak and answer reporters' questions. What you asked him, what he said to you at the time, he said, uh, he suggested when he walked back, he said he wanted to apologize for being a wise guy. That's right, Wolf, and that was because of the question interaction that happened there at the end of the press conference. Myself and several reporters were questioning the president about this major summit that happened today with the Russian leader. My question was, what makes him confident that Biden, or that, excuse me, that Putin could potentially change his behavior in the next three to six months, which was repeatedly a metric that he had cited when talking about how to really measure the success coming out of this summit. When it comes to cybersecurity, when it comes to human rights, all of the issues that he talked about with President Putin today, several that he said he raised with him. And at the end, he grew incredibly frustrated and irritated with that questioning. He said he is not confident that Putin will change his behavior. Of course, you would believe he's confident given he did hold a summit with Putin to talk about these issues because the White House said they wanted to get a good indicator of where the U.S. relationship, U.S.-Russia relationship could be going forward from here. At the end, he, he did not like that line of questioning. He then left and went to the airport where then he made these comments uh, to the reporter's staff. There. I owe my last question an apology. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have been such a wise guy with the last answer I gave. Anyway, thanks for being here. And I owe my so, Wolf, there he is apologizing for the way he responded to my question. That is completely unnecessary from the president. He did not have to apologize, though I do appreciate that he did there in front of the other reporters as he was about to get on Air Force One to go back to Washington. When I was asking him that question, Wolf, I was just doing my job, which is to question the president, regardless if they are a Democrat or a Republican, and asking the president a question does not mean it has a negative slant or a positive slant. It is simply a way to get into the president's mindset of how he is viewing something. 
something. Something as major as a meeting with a world leader who has interfered in U.S. elections, jailed his political opponents, dismissed human rights as he did at a press conference here in Geneva just earlier today. And so I do appreciate the president's apology, but it is not necessary because, of course, it is just our job to ask the president questions. That's the business that we are in. I think part of my problem with the Caitlin Collins moment is that just because Trump, Trump was so bad, it doesn't absolve Biden's bad behavior. What he just did was 100% Trumpy. And I think I would just like a little intellectual consistency. If Trump had done that, we would be screaming at the top of our lungs in, in one way or another. And I just think that I have heard uh, many people in this town in D.C. talking that the press is getting sick of this, of how, um, you know, sort of censored he is, who he can and cannot talk to, and then spouting off at her in a way that I found not only um, unbecoming and, and ridiculous, but to do it in a foreign country in that kind of form, particularly bizarre. And then afterward, after he apologized, he went on Air Force One and continued to talk smack, saying, you know, you guys never give me any levity. You guys always want to be so negative. Well, it's the press's job to speak truth to power. And just because Biden has gotten a pass so far, which he has and continues to do, it is in no one's best interest to treat him like it's state TV. And as Sarah pointed out, that is the biggest difference between us and Russia. He doesn't have to apologize to me, she says. Oh, really? Because that would be a full week on CNN of Trump when Trump did it. But they didn't have a problem with it at all. In fact, she was a media winner, says Mediate, who you saw they had a negative connotation for it. Oh, Jesus Christ. White House reporters rallied around fellow correspondent Caitlin Collins and President Joe Biden snapped at her during his Geneva press conference on Wednesday. While exiting the press conference, blah, blah, blah. Uh, let's get down to what they say. Um, while Biden later said he owed an apology to the last question for being a wise guy, Collins' fellow reporters did not take the con- um, comment lightly. New York Magazine, Olivia Newsy suggested the president might be in the wrong business if he can't answer questions without losing his temper. Still, Mediate's Caleb Howe has questions about support from other certain colleagues. Stephen Colbert got in a great riff on Collins' behalf while at the t- view the whole thing sparked a fight. But Collins was professional throughout, not only by retaining her composure and standing by her question, by remaining utterly gracious when the president expressed his regret. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you guys are real journalism. We're real journalism. We're real news, Mr. President. Which brings us to Rogan. This shit just gave me wood. Slipping and slipping and slipping in the ratings. He's the worst. And you know what they Don do? Lemons, the same thing. They, Everybody knows that that's, they're not real. They're not real humans. And Joe, when you read those articles and you listen to those guys talk, Stelter's done this a number of times. There are segments where they're outright calling for censorship. Yes. They're like, hey, please deplatform the people who I don't like because, you know, oh, they're they're saying things that are conspiracy theories. And by the way, they use that anything. They use it so loosely. Brian Stelter talking to the press secretary saying, what are we doing wrong? What are we doing wrong? Like, hey, you're supposed to be a journalist. And they wonder why they get no views. But it's not even that. It's like they're they're obviously being told a certain amount of what to do. And I mean, maybe he'd be an interesting guy if he had his 
podcast if he could just rely on his own personality and be himself. from eating roaches on Fear Factor. But he's still good at making people shriek. You can never be woke enough. That's the problem. The hugely popular podcast host causing days of chatter by saying that straight white men are the targets of woke culture. It will eventually get to straight white men are not allowed to talk. Right. Because it's your privilege to express yourself when other people of color have been silenced throughout history. Cue another day of the woke wars. It's an awakening about racial and social justice to some, but an overreaction to others. What is consequence culture for some is cancel culture to others. Rogan flaming wokeness for altering the comedy landscape. Can you make a good comedy movie anymore? Or have they have they made it so dangerous in terms of like being canceled that comedy movies are no longer something you can do then predicting more backlash towards straight white men in the future it will be you're not allowed to go outside because so many people were imprisoned think he's just joking i'm not joking no i know i know it really will get there it's that crazy Crazy indeed, but these arguments from the likes of Rogan, Bill Maher, and Tucker Carlson are worth analyzing because these issues sway voters. Rogan's podcast draws millions of downloads, and his deal with Spotify is reportedly worth $100 million plus. Yet, I'm not a doctor, I'm a f***ing moron. There, last month, Rogan basically said, don't listen to me, after arguing that young, healthy people don't need the coronavirus vaccine. But millions do listen. He's been accused of spreading conspiracy theories, and Spotify has even pulled some of his old... Let's be real clear about something. I'm very disturbed that you would even ask that kind of question. Chinese Americans are not necessarily members of the Chinese Communist Party. Understand that the Communist Chinese Party rejects virtually every provision in what is known as our Bill of Rights. Recognize that the Chinese Communist Party does not believe in the kind of republic that we believe in. And for you to associate the Communist Chinese Party with Chinese Americans, as you have done, I would submit is egregious and wrong. But with respect to bioweapons, Marjorie Taylor Greene asked a really good question. Now, I serve on the House Armed Services Committee and on the Science, Space, and Technology Committee. Ask yourself, America, this question. When we talk about gain of function, let's be a little bit more specific about what we're talking about here. 
we're talking about a dangerous virus being changed so that it is much more communicable. Meaning, I added that last thing because that's how they talk to people on CNN who don't believe what they believe. It's all about a belief system. You know, I was talking to the wife today, and, and I truly believe this 100%. They spend years telling you religion's bad because religious people weren't voting for them. Then they replace it with a religion that is super, super fascist, where opposing views are not authorized. You can't have opposing views. And then they start crafting legislation. They use social media to censor all opposing views. No views. You're not going to have views. You will think like us or we'll fucking jail your ass. And you think I'm extreme, but it's it's coming. It's fucking coming. When we go into 1-6, it is on it like a just, wow. Before I even do the 1-6 stuff, because there's a bunch of hubbub, especially on CNN, about what Tucker's putting out. They, they just made a doctrine. So Joe Rogan, one of the most powerful, him and fucking um, other guy, what the fuck's his name? The guy from, oh God, I, I used to listen to him all the time. Anyway, uh, they built their own empires. And you see he got attacked. So Rogan goes, hey, motherfucker, be a journalist. They can't. They just can't be journalists. That's not what they are. They, they talk all day about how everybody else is not a journalist. They won't even talk about this. He's not doing great. Number of voters approved job performance fell from 54% to 48. However, not all voters in the group of switch converted to presence of opposition. The numbers said they disapproved increased just slightly from 41 to 43. The number of Democrats who said they approve of Biden's performance fell by nine points. To 86. That's not a good sign. 11 points debt independence. But we're not going to cover it. We're over there talking about how he's the greatest thing ever. Then you literally have um, this poll, and we're going to go into the inlays on this. Less confident in world leaders, including Biden. And it was a liberal poll. If you look at these inlays, it is a liberal poll. But people aren't saying he's the greatest thing. But if you watch CNN, he is the greatest thing ever. And I was going to get in the weeds on this, but almost every one of these polls, just just a quick rundown, because I don't want to geek it the fuck up. Um, literally, uh, let me see. Where did I find this? Let me just blow this picture up, because it's just easier doing it this way. Because I don't know where it is. Look at that. 757 Dem. 568. Men. More women. Then you start getting into where they're at. Liberal. You get into college degrees. And then we go to where it's coming from. Ethnicity. And where they're at. Every one of these fucking polls show that he... isn't even doing good amongst his own people. They're they're jamming the poll to make the poll come out positive. That's what they do. That's what we always do. Every one of our polls ever. That's the 
fucking reason Hillary lost. She lost because they ran polls basically saying she's invincible. But they were running it in cities, college educated, more more urban stuff, more fucking minorities than the vote. They overrepresented, though it may be only nine points damn, when you break down where it's coming from, college education and ethnicity and women, they know they'll always get the results because that's the purpose of the poll. The purpose of this trip was this. I mean, I'm going to blow this up, cover my face. That's the opinion. They wanted to show he's not Trump. Uh, the, the, the dictator, the, the, the Scott refused the time Putin offered. It was a prosperous line. Finally, U.S. president will say so. At Biden's own news conference, just as after Putin's White House, the PBS Yomitsio Center asked Biden and Putin's remark from BLM on January 6th. That's a ridiculous comparison. The absurdity of the comparison should be obvious to the world. Thanks to Trump and his allies' disinformation, it isn't. Republican ignore pleas from U.S. intelligence echoed Kremlin disinformation, claiming it was Ukraine, not Russia, that interfered in the 26th election. Well, that's actually true. Hillary was actually in Ukraine getting dirt. That's how the fuck you think you got the PP document. You fucking asshats. Putin is still dining, blah, blah, blah. Wednesday, Cena, Matthew Chance, cyber attacks, the United States, civil. And, and, and let's think about the, the, the cyber attacks. Biden didn't give a fuck. The media didn't give a fuck. You know why they didn't give a fuck? It was gas and meat. Two things they don't want you to even be using. You're supposed to be an electric car, and you're supposed to be vegan, you fucking bigot. At meetings, okay, Russian security, yell at journalists, get out of the room, da-da-da-da-da. Russian state media, the truth matters more than it does to Putin, and both performing concert Putin's news conference. Our team won. Congratulations, correspondent for Congress Prophet said. Putin first part, and the Republicans who parrot Putin's propaganda want the United States to end up. Biden, to his credit, has opened his news conference a long stand about Russian misconduct, and he promised consequences. He then informed Putin that this is not a kumbaya moment, nor should it be. It is a moment of truth. Oh, really? Let's look at that. Standing up to dictators and reclaiming our leadership role on the trip, President Biden has proved to the world that America's back. Standing up? Telling dictators your weakness and giving them a list of what they can attack? By giving pipelines back really we're gonna do this in a second because this is our jerk off of the week then when he lands and people literally asked was putin it was even on the ground yet was he on the ground before biden capitulated in an arms deal Biden White House typically halted a military aid package to Ukraine that would have included lethal weapons. Plan originally made in response to aggressive Russian troop movements. The aid package was worth $100 million, according to four people familiar with the internal deliberation. Tell me more about how awesome he is. Seth Meyer takes a closer look at the aftermath of President Biden's summit with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Seth Meyer on Fox News glaring Putin's summit hypocrisy. Trump was basically Putin's Ed McMahon. Whoa! The White House is freezing Ukraine military packages, includes lethal weapon. I just read it to you. 
Putin got a pipeline and aid to Ukraine frozen. Please tell me more about Biden's winning. So Biden gave up a Nord Stream and frozen lethal weapon aid to Ukraine a few years ago. This would have been a pretty big story. But Biden's tough on Russia. Deja vu to Obama Biden eras. Got to bring Trump back so we can get tough on Russia again. And they just show pictures of Max Glenn Kexer via Max Boot. I didn't put these in the slideshow. Biden swiped the smirk off Putin's face. Showing the Time article. Biden looked Putin in the eyes like a boss. Joe Biden's rhetoric on Russia and Putin may be weak, but at least his policies on Russia and Putin are also incredibly weak. I'm asking. I'm asking for a friend. Is he his bitch? Because that's what we said. But you can't hear it in our media jerk-off. This was the greatest thing ever. I am a politic, the media jerk-off of the week. So hot. But, but I think the point is that this theme, America's Back, now has a practical face. And that's Biden. He's yep. calm. He doesn't take the bait. People say, you know, is, 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 is Putin a killer? He wants to just refuses to repeat that on the eve of his meeting with Putin because he's he's a he's a lot calmer, comfortable in his position as, as a leader. So on the eve of the meeting with Putin, which really does matter, I think Biden can say he got everything out of this trip so far that he would have wanted. And most of all, the basics that you're talking about. America's strong. Our economy is growing like gangbusters. We vaccinated this huge percentage of our population. He is the strong leader of this alliance. Just showed it. So much of this first foreign trip for President Biden has been really about trying to convince allies that the era of Donald Trump is over. He will try to convince NATO leaders that America wants to be a partner following four years of President Trump bashing the alliance. President Biden's visit to Brussels today to meet with our NATO allies. He says the U.S. is back in the business of leading the world. He's also been drawing a stark contrast with the America first stance of his predecessor. As he tries to restore relationships with NATO allies after four years of a frayed relationship with the last administration. President Biden's arrival here at NATO today marks an American reset of sorts. The president already this morning touting this transatlantic alliance as vital, while former President Trump in the past threatened to quit the group. A stark contrast to his predecessor who criticized NATO nations for over-relying on the U.S. It was a dazzling afternoon for tea at Windsor Castle. Queen Elizabeth II hosted... a very practical man who believes in these ideals, who believes that uh, diplomacy is hard work. As you say, it's meat and potatoes. Uh, you just keep plugging. And there was, yeah, here, I guess my interesting, my insight watching the press conference yesterday was there was a, a kind of poetry in his prose. Does that make sense? Not literally his prose, but just the whole, uh, it was straightforward. And by being so straightforward, it, it seemed kind of elevated. What planet are they on? What planet are they on? They're just making shit up. And they make shit up because it's all about agenda. 
Wait till you hear what's in this. First, we're going to play Tucker responding. And then you're going to have a hate fest because he brought up the facts of 1-6. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Last night, we opened this show with new information about what happened at the Capitol on January 6th. No day, it's fair to say, in recent American history has received more media attention or been used for greater political effect by partisan actors. Because of January 6th, our attorney general told us this week, we've got to change our country forever. And yet, given all the talking, the endless talking about January 6th, it is remarkable what we still don't know about what actually took place that day. Until this Monday night, for example, when it was reported by Revolver News, we had no idea that at least 20 organizers and participants in the events at the Capitol have not been indicted, despite the nationwide dragnet for people who were there. This is interesting. The government knows exactly who these people are, but has refused to charge them with crimes. Why is that? Well, because it seems like they may have had some connection to the government. Some of the people who broke into the Capitol, committed crimes while inside, and encouraged others to do the same appear to have been in contact with the FBI before the event. Let that sink in for a moment. The events of January 6th that you keep hearing about endlessly, events that Democrats in Congress describe as an act of war carried out by white supremacists, as dangerous and historically significant as Pearl Harbor and 9-11, those events apparently were at least in part organized and carried out in secret by people connected to federal law enforcement. It's hard to think of a bigger potential scandal than this one. Now it's clear why the government won't release more than 14,000 hours of surveillance footage shot at the Capitol that day. People they know are on the tape. Well, last night, clips from our show began to circulate on social media. The tech monopolies, which helped get Joe Biden elected, continued to work closely with the administration to control the news and information that you are allowed to see. Because it's America, right? Well, this piece of news, the one on our show last night, was a problem for them, so they tried to make it go away. Twitter appended the following note to our clip last night, quote, Federal law does not permit cooperating witnesses or informants to be charged with conspiracy, despite a baseless suggestion by Tucker Carlson that some co-conspirators of the January 6th attack were not charged because they were undercover FBI agents, end quote. Hmm. Let's think about this. Now, leave aside for a second the most obvious question that arises from the statement, which is, how would Twitter, which is a media company, not as far as we know, a law enforcement agency, be able to confirm our reporting last night was, quote, baseless? How would they know that? Does Twitter somehow have access to the FBI's personnel files? We don't know. We hope someone finds out. But consider the statement more broadly. Twitter is saying that people who are secretly working with the FBI cannot be charged for encouraging others to commit crimes. Well, yes, exactly. That's the very point we made on this show last night. That's why they haven't been charged, because they were secretly working with the FBI. So in an effort to shut us down, Twitter just confirmed what we suggested was true. Thanks, Twitter. They are morons. It's pretty funny. Less funny, though, is the Justice Department's role in January 6th. Federal law enforcement appear to have played a role in what happened that day. We'd tell you more about it. We'd love to, but we don't have subpoena power. We're just a cable news show. Congress does have subpoena power, and let's hope they use it immediately. 
Stacey Young is here and has a a, uh, question for you. Yeah, well, so to pick up on what David was saying, Congressman, about the issues we have here at home, I mean, I was watching the the Putin press conference yesterday, and he didn't say Ashley Babbitt's name, but he invoked the woman who was killed in the January 6th riot um, and essentially parroted some of the talking points that we're seeing on our far, far right conservative media from even from some of your colleagues like Congressman Paul Gosar. I mean, what is going on with that? Insanity. It's like it's not even Paul. I mean, it's 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 our own. It's not the far, far right. It's just the right Right. now, Mm -hmm. you know, where where it's saying that she was assassinated. Now the new push is that the FBI actually somehow planned and assist in January 6th. You have you have members that are actually promoting that yeah oh yeah theory what, now. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah and and it's the circle of life i mean <laughs> the russians uh, well not just the russians but there are chinese propaganda websites mm-hmm. that are spitting this out the fulan gong are spitting out conspiracy theories every day i'm having to talk to family members and they're saying, oh, we don't trust the press. For the press. Oh, but you trust a Chinese right. cult? That's where you're getting your news from? And the answer is, yeah. Well, it's a shotgun of information. News Shot- from. It's been so much information peppered on these people that now you can just say, FBI planned January 6th. That's the new thing. You can't prove otherwise because by the time you do prove otherwise, they don't even listen to facts anyway. And this is, this is the legacy of Trump and Trumpism. This is the legacy of blatant, outright lies to people that are being abused for their raw, noble patriotism. Good evening from New York. I'm Chris Hayes. The point of propaganda is to shape reality, right? The propagandist and the machinery of propaganda exists so that what is actually happening in the world can be ignored or overwritten so that when you see before your eyes, what you see before your eyes can be waved away as an apparition. The point of journalism in a free society is to see things clearly, right, to reflect reality. And let's be clear, you know, we all bring our biases to stories. We choose which stories to tell and which stories we do not tell. Reality itself is complicated with a million stories out there, just like history itself. And so the line between good faith journalism undertaken in free society, even with a perspective or an agenda, and bad faith propaganda, that line sometimes can be obscured or faint. But believe me, it is there. What we are seeing in this country is a sustained effort of concerted propaganda to destroy the civic terrain necessary to hold up democracy. Here's what that looks like. In the wake of the January insurrection, when we all watched a marauding mob violently overtake the Capitol, having erected a gallows, shouting, hang Mike Pence, assaulting police officers left and right with the express purpose of overturning an election, Doing so largely based on a false belief pumped into their heads by propagandists, the election had been stolen. Now, the vast majority of people, I think politicians, people on the Capitol, members of the public, recoiled at what they saw that day, including most members of Congress who denounced it. Like House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who said it was the saddest day he ever had serving in Congress. And then turned around along with nearly 150 of his colleagues and voted to overturn the election to give the mob what they wanted in hope that it would further their aims. But at the very least, okay, at the very least, there was palpably, I think, some shared sense that what had happened was wrong, that indeed it was intolerable, an intolerable assault on democracy. And then we watched the propagandists go to work, places like Fox News and Newsmax and OAM, to override that stark and obvious reality, to rewrite it. And it does not matter, as scholars of propaganda have pointed out, that there's not much logical coherence to it. We've watched, as people have called the insurrection, simultaneously not a big deal. 
There's some new body cam, new police body cam video from the Capitol insurrection that has just been released by the Justice Department. And this is footage that was used in the case against Thomas Webster. He's a former Marine. He's a retired New York City police officer who is accused of participating in the January 6th riot. And we must warn you that the audio in this footage has not been censored. beating officers with a flagpole. You see that video with your own eyes. You see that horror with your own eyes. It makes it all the more stunning that some Republicans and some deranged entertainers keep developing new and provably false ways to say the insurrection did not happen. What stands in the way of their attempt to whitewash January 6th? Reality. First, the claim that the Capitol attack was just a tour, which is how Republican Andrew Clyde of Georgia describes it, a normal tourist visit. That assumes your idea of a normal tourist visit to the Capitol involves breaking and climbing through a window, rifling through lawmakers' desks, ransacking offices, and beating law enforcement officers. By the way, it was Clyde who barricaded the door to these tourists. Number two, rioters not armed. In the last 24 hours, the Justice Department charging a rioter with unlawfully bringing a semi-automatic handgun onto Capitol grounds. Rioters also use bear spray. They use flagpoles, as you saw there, baseball bats, all of these things to viciously attack police. Number three, January 6th was a peaceful protest. Another offensively absurd claim easily disproved with, you know, pictures. See above, rioters use bear spray, flagpoles, baseball bats to viciously attack police. And number four, a myth. The FBI orchestrated the deadly assault on January 6th. Fox's BS ringmaster Tucker Carlson this week breathing air into this false flag conspiracy theory that originated from a right wing website. That FBI operatives were somehow behind the insurrection. Joining us now, CNN senior legal analyst Ellie Honing, a former state and federal prosecutor. And Ellie, to you, this is simply impossible, right? Yeah, John. And let me explain how. So Tucker Carlson uses this phrase, unindicted co-conspirator. And what he's trying to tell his audience is, gee, that must mean these people were working for the FBI, undercover agents or informants. He's got it wrong. Here's why. So the phrase unindicted co-conspirator is not something you can apply to someone working for the FBI because a conspiracy is a meeting of the mind. It's an agreement between two people to commit a crime. However, if you're an FBI undercover, if you're an informant, you're not really part of a criminal agreement. You're pretending for the sake of the investigation. So no prosecutor would ever use this phrase, unindicted co-conspirator, to refer to somebody working for the FBI. We do use this phrase all the time to refer to other things, to refer to people who are still being investigated, who might be charged. 
to refer to people who have been arrested and then cooperated later, different thing from what Carlson's talking about, or to refer to people who we don't know exactly who they are yet. So Tucker Carlson, all due respect to him, I've written a few more indictments than he has. He's got that dead wrong. You have you never in all your experience referred to someone in the FBI as an undoubted co-conspiracy. It is physically impossible. It is legally impossible. You don't know anyone, and no prosecutor has ever done that as far as you know. Uh, correct. All right. Now, again, I don't think it is on us when Tucker Carlson says they faked the moon landing. I often think it's not on us to prove that the moon landing was real. However, I think it's important to lay out the facts here. So let's play a little more about what this entertainer said. But wait, here's the interesting thing. Person two and person three were organizers of the riot. The government knows who they are, but the government has not charged them. Why is that? You know why. They were almost certainly working for the FBI. Almost certainly working for the FBI, says that guy. They were almost certainly not. Now, there are other ways to use generic labels for people like Carlson uses there. Person one, individual one. By and large, those are used interchangeably with unindicted co-conspirator. They can have broader meanings as well. I'm going to give you a couple examples. First of all, we all remember the Michael Cohen case when the U.S. Department of Justice said on record in a filing that Cohen, as he has admitted with respect to both payments, he acted in coordination with and at the direction of this not so mysterious individual one. Who did that turn out to be? Of course, we know that turned out to be Donald Trump. Was Donald Trump working for the FBI? Of course not. This is how prosecutors use these terms. I'll give you another example. Also in the Michael Cohen case, the Justice Department referred to a generic client three. Now, later it came out in court papers that that client three was Sean Hannity. I think he works with Tucker Carlson. Was he working for the FBI? <laughs> exactly the point, right? Not working for the FBI. This is a common thing prosecutors do. Tucker Carlson is making absurd leaps of faith here, absurd assumptions that are just uh, outlandish. What are the facts behind what's in these documents. Yeah, so let's be reminded, the document, the indictment that Tucker Carlson's talking about is an indictment of Oath Keepers for the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Here are some of the actual facts that things that actual criminals said during and leading up to that riot. Trump said it's going to be wild. It's going to be wild. He wants us to make it wild, and that's what he's saying. He called us all to the Capitol, and he wants us to make it wild. Sir, yes, sir. Here's another actual fact from the indictment. It begins for real January 5th and 6th in Washington, D.C. When we mobilize in the streets, let them try to certify some crowd on Capitol Hill with a million or more patriots in the streets. This kettle is set to boil. And finally, John, this memorable piece of actual information, evidence in the indictment, they have morphed into pure evil, blatantly rigging an election and paying off the political caste. We must smile. Understand, they have a vested interest in having one six. They need it. I mean, let's let's be honest. The media and the left are all in on this being the worst thing ever because it trumps all their violence in the summer and makes them look pure. It makes them look pure. So every day they go on TV, and I know this is a lot of sound bites, but before I go into this, 
And I have a soundbite for this, breaking it down. This isn't about an insurrection. This is about destroying your opposition so you retain power forever. forever. Understand, what happened on 1-6 was bad. But we know there are Antifa people mixed in and BLM. We know cops were involved because they let them in. We know nobody died. We know there were no weapons. We know there were no lead pipes. They know all this is bullshit. And we know the FBI was part of it because they were telling them it was going to happen and then they let it happen. We know they said Trump going to a bunker was pussy and that he lied, that it was all a lie, that it was just happenstance that he went out and they were scaling a fence because their peaceful protesters were trying to get in the White House. That's all a lie. Everything they put out is a lie. Only CNN is this invested and proving that this is all bullshit. You saw their four points and their condemnation and Kinzinger and fucking Cheney are the only two people that are all in on this because they want to destroy Trumpism. Trumpism isn't about Trump. Loving this country, loving the flag, being patriotic, wanting standards and meritocracy, that is the biggest, most violent thing you can do. And these people live by words are violence. That's their thing. And everything I'm about to play, this is violence. Like actual violence. We will start with an ex-FBI guy going, we need to arrest congressmen. Look, Chris Ray testified publicly on the Hill that what happened on January 6th is domestic terrorism. What have we learned from our experience with international terrorism? In order to address that problem, arresting low-level operatives is merely a speed bump, not a roadblock. In order to really tackle terrorism, and this time domestically, you've got to attack and dismantle the, the, the command and control element of a terrorist group. And unfortunately, and I know this is painful to hear, that may mean people sitting in Congress right now, people in and around the former president. Mm-hmm. That's how you do this. Otherwise, recruitment, inciting, and, and uh, cult-like leadership continues to recruit people to violence. And Frank, you know that they know it's BS as well. And they're doing exactly what Kinzinger and Cheney say they're doing. They're lying to their supporters. If they actually thought there were any chance that as the facts were revealed, they would reveal that Antifa had anything to do with this or the FBI, why wouldn't they be the ones pushing for a commission to investigate? Yeah, this is about preservation of power. They're, they're going to do whatever they need to do to get reelected, stay in power, and stick with a base as long as Trump remains the primary influencer over their party. That's simply um, what's going to happen. Look, I can't, from my national security perspective, I, I can't let this opportunity go to, to not point out that as recently as today, Vladimir Putin at his press conference regurgitated the very same message that we have U.S. congressmen sending, which is that the people that breached the security at the Capitol were simply looking for their political voice. They were simply looking for some political solutions. Vladimir Putin said that today at his press conference, and these members of Congress who refused to honor 
for bravery, the Capitol Police officers who protected those members of Congress are echoing the same thing as Putin. It's we wanted the congressman's take after emailing eight people in his office, texting and leaving messages. We got the following answer back from his chief of staff. Thank you. We decline. His sister, Jennifer Gosar, could uh, make it, however. She and several other siblings have campaigned against the congressman and more recently put out an, an ad calling out his lies about the insurrection. Um, Jennifer, first of all, I appreciate you being with us. Uh, this can't be easy ever. I want to ask you about the, the comments that we just heard from your brother. When you heard him say that, uh, what goes through your mind? Well, first, thank you for uh, inviting me to be on your show and giving me a chance to speak about this. Um, what goes through my mind is, is what has been going through my mind, but, you know, um, but more intensely, right? To, to have witnessed through, you know, live media on the day that it was happening, to see the footage since, and now to see that not only... You know you're evil as fuck when you bring the sister a strange sister of a senator. You know if Fox News did that, what would happen? That was your last soundbite. But they trucked that guy around. We need to arrest them. It's Putin. It's this. The same Putin that Biden made all sorts of concessions to, and he made us no concessions. We received nothing. Nothing out of it. I mean, nothing. So... Here's a soundbite from Tucker last night. CNN once admitted that that was happening and that it was a problem, but they won't admit it anymore. Earlier this week, we reported on this show that among those who stormed the Capitol on January 6th, there appear to be people who are working for the FBI. We didn't guess that. We concluded it based on the government's own court filings thanks to a piece in Revolver News. Dozens of suspects the FBI now says committed serious crimes on January 6th have not been charged with anything. They haven't even been identified. Why is that? Well, likely because they were in contact with the FBI before they committed those crimes. That is the definition of corruption. You're working for the FBI, so you're not charged for a crime. It's also, by the way, scary given the current climate, given that January 6th is now being used as a pretext to strip law-abiding Americans of their most basic civil liberties. So given that, we have an absolute right to know exactly what happened that day and the FBI's role in it. Again, we believe the FBI had people on the ground, people who stormed the Capitol and committed crimes while inside. We said that. The FBI has not denied it. In fact, no one from the FBI has even commented on it. They don't have to. Because this time they have CNN squarely on their side. Watch the apologists for corrupt federal law enforcement deny something they couldn't possibly be in a position to verify either way. But prepare yourself as you watch it. This is an appalling performance. And now it's the FBI. Tucker Carlson's newest baseless theory about the insurrection and how he is spreading it to millions of people. A new conspiracy theory is emerging about the attack on the U.S. Capitol. You hear this? <sighs> Directly from Hate TV. This is the beginning of a new effort to rewrite what happened on January 6th, even though it is wrong, and as you will hear from one of our analysts, impossibly wrong. And the whole crux of it is that this was an FBI insider operation. Uh, clearly untrue. Clearly untrue. 
totally baseless. Let me say again, it's insane to think that the FBI did this. <laughs> it's clearly untrue. It's totally wrong. All right, why don't you explain how? You have almost two dozen people who've been identified as criminals who are not being charged. Why is that exactly? Why don't you tell us? But they didn't. And then just to make it totally obvious that CNN now functions as an arm of the woke national security state, which they do, the channel then invited on the former assistant director of the FBI, a man called Chris Swecker, to reassure viewers that the FBI did absolutely nothing wrong on January 6th. Not one bad thing. Trust us. And of course, CNN does trust the FBI. The FBI's word is good enough for CNN. The change here is bewildering. It seems like just the other day that CNN's own chief anchor was telling us the shocking story of the 2015 terror attack in Garland, Texas. That's the one in which an FBI agent texted the shooter words of encouragement. The FBI literally worked to make that shooting happen. That's not an exaggeration. We know that. An FBI agent was even present at the attack. Watch. It turns out the undercover agent did more than just communicate online with Elton Simpson. In an affidavit filed in another case, the government disclosed that the FBI undercover agent had actually traveled to Garland, Texas, and was present at the event. The undercover agent was in a car directly behind Elton Simpson and Nader Sufi when they started shooting. This cell phone photo of school security guard Bruce Joyner and police officer Greg Stevens was taken by the undercover agent seconds before the attack. The idea that he's taken photograph of the two people who happened to be attacked <laughs> moments before they're attacked is stunning. If you're wondering what happened to the FBI's undercover agent, he fled the scene, but was stopped at gunpoint by Garland police. This is video of him in handcuffs recorded by a local news crew. So tell us again how the FBI would never have anything to do with the attack on the Capitol on January 6th. What you just saw were some of the counterterrorism tactics the FBI adopted after 9-11. All of us saw it happen. Now the Bureau has changed its focus. It's no longer going after Islamic extremism. It's now going after Joe Biden's political opponents. Those are the domestic terrorists they've been telling you about. This is a nightmare. It's a nightmare for civil liberties. It's a threat to democracy itself. We should have seen it coming. We did not see it coming, embarrassingly. Glenn Greenwald saw it coming. He's an independent journalist who writes on Substack, and he's going to join us in just a moment to explain what he thinks actually happened. In the meantime, though, the Biden administration is not waiting. It has declared war on domestic terror. You may be in that category. We know because the administration has released a document called the National Strategy for Countering Domestic Terrorism. It reads like a manual for targeting the administration's political opponents, because that's exactly what it is. And if there's one story you should pay attention to this year, it's this one. It could affect you. Nicholas Giordano has studied the document. He studied a lot of American government documents. He's an associate professor of political science at Suffolk Community College and the host of the PA's report, he joins us now. Professor, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, we want to talk to you Thank because you, you, unlike most people in the media, have actually read this document. This document comes from the White House. The first page has Joe Biden's signature on it. Tell us what it says and what it means. Well, this is actually one of the most concerning documents I've ever read that was authored by government officials. 
And when you look at it, it's clear that the analysts in the field, they didn't write this document. It was the political appointees trying to push an agenda. They list three factors that drive domestic terrorism. The first factor is racism. And when you look at it, they never really define racism except for white supremacy, of course, and the superiority of white race. And these are the same people that believe that racism is inherent. You're born with it. So if racism is inherent, the question is, are we born domestic terrorists? But it goes deeper than that. Then it talks about anti-government sentiment and anti-authority sentiment. And this is where it gets dangerous. The anti-government sentiment, if you call for small limited government, if you criticize the government in, a way, in any way, are you going to be deemed as someone that has anti-government sentiment, anti-authority? If you question government powers, if you push back against the government, if you look at the coronavirus and you question the mandates that came out as unconstitutional, well, now you're classified as anti-authority. And just think back, over 1,200 public health officials a year ago signed a letter stating that if you protest lockdowns, that's white nationalism. So we have these vague terms that are being used that really could encompass anything. In the document, it talks about violence. Now, we all abhor violence. Violence should not be tolerated in any way. But this document goes much further than that. It talks about incitement and what can incite domestic terrorism. And it doesn't give any explanation except for the fact that the government, the powers that be, will determine what incitement is. But on page 10, it talks about a few examples. If you question the 2020 election and bring up the idea of election fraud, if you talk about COVID and question the mandates that came out or conspiracies, engage in what the government deems conspiracies, that could incite domestic terrorism and therefore you can get punished for it. So if you put out a tweet talking about election fraud, are you now going to be targeted and labeled a domestic terrorist? So then the document lays out the four pillars in how it's going to combat, push back against domestic terrorism. You see widespread monitoring of American civilians. You see a partnership with big tech, the financial sector, to give up Americans' private information. You see censorship. It talks about the supply and demand of information online, and that means that it has to limit it through censorship. It talks about encouraging individuals and families, trying to recruit them. And when we look at that, well, what do they mean by that? I remember in Vermont when a governor tried to do that. So we see these abuses take place, but it's a political agenda. That's what's being pushed. And Pillow 4 talks about the agenda of pushing it for gun violence and CRT and equity. It's a fascist document. I mean, it is a fascist document. A new law or not, some of it's a strategy lack implementation details as some significant questions are left unanswered. Still, it does not detract from the otherwise strong framework most strategies lay out to set the priorities of framework. The major question unanswered by strategy is whether Biden administration will support a domestic terrorism criminalization statute. And as odd as it sounds, there is no such crime as domestic terrorism. While there are many related criminal statutes, many national security experts have argued in favor of criminalizing dec dec domestic terrorism, whereas civil rights advocates have urged restraints so as not to coverly, overly empower law enforcement. A new White House strategy is unclear about where the administration stands. Its stance mirrors the ADL and has tried to balance its recent years, asking for careful consideration of whether it's possible to create a statute that has significantly impacted domestic terrorism without infringing on civil liberties. Major takeaways. Prioritizing the issue. The Trump administration had disbanded a team specializing in domestic terrorism 
they're now making it with the FBI a priority. According to the threat, counterterrorism resources must be prevented from being used against legitimate political speech, but focus on violence, a proportionality that can be determined by looking at the data of violent threats. The administration's strategy says its focus is specifically on addressing violence and the factors that lead to violence and not on any political movement. The declaration is critical. That's a lie. You know it's a lie. Moreover, the strategy plainly states that the top threats related to white supremacy and anti-government militias a welcome change. However, the White House stopped short of formalizing this approach, such as recommending the inclusion of provision in Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act. Opposition, op- oppose extremists in government. Americans cannot expect the government to counter domestic terrorism and those enforcing the laws share extremist sentiment. Nor can the U.S. government take lightly the threat posed by extremists' attempt to recruit veterans of U.S. armed forces who may have skills and experience. The Biden administration recognizes this threat in order to stand down on military units to reindoctrinate them. The new strategy dictates an entire strategic goal to this type of vetting, including working to augment the screening process, take steps to prevent terrorism rather than relying on law enforcement. It also calls for digital literacy training, re-education, to address the scourge of online extremist propaganda, ending the comp- com- complicity of social media industry, create a clearinghouse for online extremist content, targeting white supremacist terrorist groups overseas. This is about speech. This is all about speech. The actual guy I got this from is um, Uber Nuclea. Strategic Goal 1.1 now says that gender-motivated violence can be domestic terrorism. And remember, this entire national strategy is outlining how communications, bias, and words are violence. In here. Doing so will inform form Philly not only executive branch officials, but also Congress and American people. Maximizing the federal government understanding this particular threat also means supporting and making appropriate use of an analysis performed by entire outside the government. 1.2, improve information sharing across all levels so that we can get everybody we want. White House unveils strategic national strategy to fight domestic terrorism. It's all words. Pentagon is on board to fight extremism. I was going to play this in our military section. This is what they're talking about. Welcome to Tucker Carlson. Tonight, if you want to understand a country's military, take a look at what its officer corps is reading. Military officers aren't just war fighters. They're trained to be thinkers, even intellectuals. Some of them have advanced degrees. In Russia, officers above the rank of colonel are required to read a book by a Russian nationalist called Alexander Dugin called The Foundations of Geopolitics. Dugin's book envisions a Eurasian empire with Russia at the center of it and then outlines a way to achieve that. In China, meanwhile, recruits are told to read The Origin and Goal of History. It teaches that China is successful because its culture is superior to the West's. Now, you might not agree with them, but these are serious books, and they promote the national interests of the countries whose officers read them. That's why they're assigned. And that makes sense. So with that in mind, what are American military officers reading these days? Well, let's see. 
a subliterate pamphlet on how the United States is a disgusting, immoral country that must be changed immediately and forever. That tract is entitled How to Be an Anti-Racist. It is written by a former University of Florida professor called Henry Rogers, who now that he is rich and famous, goes by his revolutionary name, Ibram X. Kendi. The book is garbage. Actually, it's worse than that. Not only is it embarrassingly stupid, it is poisonous. Kendi's premise is as simple as he is. Any system that produces unequal outcomes must be racist, period. That's it. That's the entire thesis. And Kendi applies it to everything. If some people make more money than other people, then the economy is racist. If Ibram X. Kendi decides there aren't enough black astrophysicists, then astrophysics is, by definition, racist. If it rains in a black neighborhood but not across town, then what you're watching is weather racism. Actually, Kendi didn't really write that, probably because he has no detectable sense of humor. But there's no question that he believes it. The book is that militantly dumb. So how do we respond to all of this racism in the United States? Well, Kendi provides a solution. Quote, the only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. He actually wrote that. In other words, his book against racism promotes racism. Now, you'd think that might be a red flag for people, contradicting as it does the founding principles of the country as well as basic human decency. But no, the people in charge love the book. It's all over corporate America. You can probably pick up a free copy at your HR department tomorrow morning if you want. But the military, it, you can't imagine the U.S. military would assign a book like that, recommended to every sailor in the U.S. Navy. Well, yes, actually. On Tuesday, Congressman Jim Banks of Indiana demanded an explanation for this from the Chief of Naval Operations, Admiral Michael Gilday. Here's how it went. Kendi's book states that capitalism is essentially racist. And Kendi is clear that racism must be eliminated. So yes or no? Do you personally consider advocating for the destruction of American capitalism to be extremist? Here's what I know, Congressman. It's a yes There's or no racism question, Racism in the United States Navy. Admiral, you I recommended every sailor in the United States Navy read this book. It's a yes or no question. I'm not forcing anybody to read the book. It's on a recommended reading list. Admiral, did you read the book? I did. Admiral, you said you read this book. What part of this book is redeeming and, and qualifies as something that, that every, every sailor in the United States critical needs to read it. about his own journey as an African-American in this country, what he's experienced. Let me ask you again, Admiral, do you expect that say, after sailors read this book that says that the United States Navy is racist, that we will increase or decrease morale, cohesion, and recruiting race into the United States Navy? I think we'll be a better Navy from having open, honest conversations about racism. Open and honest conversations about racism. Well, that would be nice, but it's an amusing line coming from someone who claims to have read Kendi's book, as Gilday says he has. Open and honest conversations are racist. Kendi said that many times. So let's say, open and honestly, you decided that you cared more about the way people behave than the way that they look. Let's say you took Martin Luther King at his word and judged people by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin. If you were to do that, Ibram X. Kendi says you were a racist. Quote, the claim of not racist neutrality is a mask for racism. The language of colorblindness is a mask to hide racism. A colorblind constitution for a white supremacist America. That's the military's reading. So no, open and honest conversations are not allowed in Kendi's America. Here's the choice. You admit you're a racist or else you're a super duper racist. That's his position. 
Sounds pretty deranged, honestly. In fact, it sounds like an extremist ideology, just the kind the military is always warning us about. Keep in mind that tonight, right now, the Pentagon is investigating National Guardsmen who have posted unfashionable opinions on Facebook about the last election or may have voted for Donald Trump. So with all their investigators running around looking into people's thought crimes, how closely have they looked, has the Pentagon looked, into Ibram X. Kendi? Have they checked his social media history? Well, actually, Congressman Banks asked Gilday that question. Watch. In college, Kendi stated that white people are a different breed of humans and are responsible for the AIDS virus. Yes or no, do you personally consider the conspiracy that white people started AIDS to be an extremist belief? Sir, I'd have to understand the context. That is a simple question. Made. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say. Admiral, here. this is a book I'm that you recommended. Understand. That's a threat to the government when you don't agree with this. Understand that's extremism by definition to the left. We're not talking about white supremacists storming things. There were no white supremacists there. They were termed white supremacists because they don't believe in woke. Remember my first statement. We cancel religion. We cancel the nuclear family. We replace it with a new religion. And that new religion gets you comments like this from a priestess of the woke. It's really interesting seeing how so many on the left support police shooting of unarmed person. Michael Flynn is a traitor. Ashley Babbitt was a terrorist. Putin is our adversary. She was breaking through a door behind which were our congresspersons. She was trying to assault our government leaders and was warned several times by police to stop trying to broach the chamber. But you know that. Actress Deborah Messing wants the police to shoot unarmed people that they feel threatened. I don't know whether the shooting was justified, but suddenly the left to center people thinking someone unarmed but engaged in criminal behavior should be shot. No questions asked. Once again, this is my sticking point on 1-6. If you educate yourself and go past what the corporate media is feeding you, you will find that there were cops in riot gear with ARs walked right past her. Then she was shot in the face. I mean, she's a woman. Doesn't that, you never Trumpers who are part of the Kendi X tribe, isn't that inappropriate? And then we install bullshit. This is just bullshit. How do I know it's bullshit? The polls. People didn't even know what the fuck this was. There's whole articles trying to educate you. How much did you know America know about it? Then you get into the polls. Most Americans know nothing or little about it. And then you get into the fucking numbers. More than 60% of Americans know nothing at all and only a little bit about Juneteenth. The 37% of the respondents reported have a lot or some knowledge of the holiday. Maybe an increase from previous years, pollsters and academics believe, reflecting growing awareness of last summer's protest. The survey resulted, which released on Tuesday, found that nearly half supported teaching the history of Juneteenth in public schools. There was less support, 35, for making June, June 19th a federal holiday. On Tuesday, the Senate unanimously voted, da-da-da-da-da. Poll is the first of Gallup conducted about June 10th, Juneteenth. It was organized by Gallup Center on Black Voices. 
The study, which was conducted from May 18th to 23rd, 69% of black respondents said they had some knowledge. I don't have to go on the rest. Black people didn't even know what this was. They had no fucking clue. But it's indoctrination. Charlie Kirk pummeled because he disagreed. You, you can't disagree with this holiday. You can't. It's inappropriate. You must embrace this. If you don't embrace this, you're a racist. You're just a racist. But it's a holiday with its own flag. Its own flag. It doesn't have the American flag. You fly Gatson, you're a piece of shit. There's the inland. Here's another one. Nobody knew what this was. Nobody. But they know this shit. You can't fly an American or pro-police flag in Portland. The entire riot squad, a cop slapped back at somebody slapping him. They all resigned. We're putting statues up for a guy who was going to die from fentanyl-laced meth. Was abused. Now we call it murder because that's what the crime, that's what the court came from. And I don't question the justice system because if you do that, you're an extremist now and you'll get arrested under the doctrine. You know, it's very interesting. We're giving Russia whatever the fuck we want, but we have a doctrine to stamp out oppositional views. We're indoctrinating the military because these people are the fascist. I said it all along. I'm a crazy person. Friends won't talk to me anymore. Jason Whitlock. Last time I checked, he's a black man. Here's his response. National holiday and George Floyd statue in Newark. What a day to be alive. These two symbols of hope and just what we need. Who needs kids raised in nuclear families when we have holidays and statues? Holidays and statues are what create nuclear families. You can't have any statue. A lady who lives in a city that people are dying 50 getting shot a weekend. Racism is a public health emergency. Stacey Abrams is now allowed in our bullshit because it's all about voting. Nobody is ever opposed to having to prove who you are to vote. Former Georgia House Minority Leader Stacey Abrams said the CNN Thursday morning that she could support Democratic West Virginia Manchin's voting bill, despite the fact that it includes a requirement for vote. Abrams told CNN John Berman that absolutely could support Manchin's compromise. That's one of the fallacies of Republican talking points that has been deeply disturbing. No one has ever objected to having to prove who you are to vote. It's been part of our nation's history since the inception of voting. Do I need to play hours of fucking sound bites of them saying it? It's racist? Warnock! who we now know is under federal charges for absentee balancing harvest and Fulton County's under review that they were doing illegal harvesting. That's the guy that ratted Trump out, never Trumpers. So I guess it's real now. He's on your side. I was never opposed to voter ID. 
not even reading it. It's revisionist history. It's what we do all the time. But you can't have an opposing view. There's no opposing views. Who the fuck are you to have an opposing view? You will either obey or not. Oh, wait a minute. I guess he has an opposing view. From Free Beacon, sent a fundraising email asking recipients to identify their support for repealing strict and burdensome voter ID laws just hours after he claimed he's never been opposed to them. You can't rig elections with voter ID. That's why we have H.R. 1. That's the whole purpose of the For the People Act. You can vote multiple times. You can vote multiple precincts. Arrest me, FBI. It's a proven fact. We played it in 2016. There's actually audio of them busing people around. Project Veritas. They admit they do it. We're seeing a coordinated attack on voting rights in this country. It's Jim Crow in the 21st century, and it must end. Congress must enact legislation to make it easier for an eligible American to access the ballot box. This from the guy who thinks black people can't get IDs or work computers, and you're not black. Then we find out while all this is going down, and assaults to our democracy, and Tucker Carlson's a white supremacist Nazi. This is what they're doing in California. Oh, yeah, it's Biden doing it. New emails obtained by Judicial Watch show that the Secretary of State of the state of California worked with a Democratic Party PR firm to direct Twitter, the media monopoly, to censor users who suggested that election fraud might be real. A new lawsuit says that the state of California's coordinated censorship with Twitter violates the First Amendment, which obviously it does. Harmeet Dillon is a lawyer with the Center for American Liberty and one of the country's most important First Amendment advocates. Rogan O'Hanley is an activist and attorney. He's one of the users who was censored and is suing Twitter and the state. Harmeet and Rogan join us to explain. Thanks both of you uh, for coming on. Harmeet, give us the overview, if you would, of, of what they did. Sure. Well, a lot of us who use Twitter and other social media have suspected that this has been going on for some time, but the Judicial Watch uh, Public Records Act request documents reveal a stunning and broad conspiracy by government agencies, uh, Democrat lobbying firms, and a national association of secretaries of state to gather so-called dangerous election-related speech, work with Twitter and potentially other social media companies, and get that speech taken down in the name of fairer and cleaner elections. Our client, Rogan O'Handley, was caught up in this dragnet for perfectly legitimate and honest opinions and commentary about seeking audits about these elections. And in retaliation for that, he was removed from the Twitter platform. This is a violation of the First Amendment. It's a civil rights conspiracy. It also violates the California Constitution. And I think once we start getting into discovery in this case, we're going to find out that this is a lot more widespread than just what happened to Rogan. Yeah, I mean, this is a textbook violation of the First Amendment in that the government is conspiring to deprive citizens of their speech. Rogan, tell us the speech that you were deprived of, if you would. Well, I used to be a Hollywood entertainment lawyer before I got sick of the double standards, the hypocrisy, and especially the corruption in our federal government. So I left that entire legal career behind to fight for, you know, liberty and justice for all on social media. And 
It, after the election, I am a trained lawyer. I look at evidence. I look at videos. I read sworn affidavits, and I said, we need investigations here. I called for the same things that Stacey Abrams called for when she refused to concede the Georgia gubernatorial election. I said, we need to look into this further. And then specifically, I said, we need to look at it in California. I used to live there. I know how flimsy those elections can be. And so I said, hey, let's look at California elections. And then Alex Padilla, Secretary of State, it was a criticism of his actions in office. And then he paid this firm, SKDK, to tell him who to censor. That was me. So a politician, I mean, this is even clearer cut than I realized at the outset. A politician says, someone's criticizing me, shut him down. Well, Absolutely. Yeah, Tucker, and <laughs> if, if I can add, this politician was auditioning for the role of United States Senator. That's very critical as well. He was hoping that if Kamala Harris was named the United States Vice President, he would be named by the governor to fill that role. And, and that's exactly what happened. So he was actually elbowing out of the way other Democrats. And this this whole contract for $35 million for who to censor was, is so corrupt that other Democrats in the state protested about it because it was a no-bid contract given to a consultant for the Biden campaign. SKD Knickerbocker is a Biden campaign consultant. So this is a mess of conflicts of interest, cons conspiracy, and boondoggle and favor trading. That is totally third world. So, Rogan, do, have you gotten a full picture of the censorship against you? Yeah, I mean, I run various accounts across social media. I have millions of followers, which I'm very thankful for because I tell the truth and I call out corruption in our government. That's what people want. They want real talk. And, you know, this situation feels like David versus Goliath. I don't work for anyone. I'm completely independent, but I'm going to take on this machine. I'm going to take on corrupt California government. I'm going to take on the Biden administration because, you know what, one of the head honchos at SKDK, Anita Dunn, now works as a special advisor to the Joe Biden White House. This go So we see during the election, just like the Obama election, they're always spouting off about Republicans are doing this, Republicans are doing this. We have the pro pack super PAC, dark money. It's crazy. California officials, big tech and Biden firm coordinating misinformation censorship before election. Judicial Watch, which you just heard. They, they were rigging shit and shutting it down. We'll state this is Cal Matters. Team Biden firm with 35 million tab after Yee box at Padilla vote contract. They were doing illegal shit there. Saranovich. California Democrats have access to rapid response team on Twitter, which takes down tweets at the request of Democrats. Let me put the picture up. It's right there in black and white. They sick the dogs. They suppress. It's a Biden group. Dave Rubin. I have been doxxed, threatened, coordinated attacks on my account. Despite all my connections, I can't get a human to email or phone. It's a rigged game, and we all keep playing it. It's how fortified elections work. Remember, right after the election, they admitted they were fortifying it. And now they're doing this. What happens when majority rule doesn't work? Hmm. There it is.
I'll keep putting this shit up every fucking time. I'll keep putting this shit up every fucking time somebody says this stupid ass shit. That's the WAPO. Lying. Then they go after people who won't play their game. She's now a white supremacist. A lesbian, non-Christian, who just believes in the system. In the article. It's interesting to me the set of bills that she is holding up by supporting the filibuster, refusing to consider filibuster reform, including the voting rights bill named for John Lewis, because in 2015, at the start of Congress, and there it, let me blow it up so you guys can see it. Um, and there at the start of any Congress is an election determined who will lead each party at the time. Almost every Democrat voted for Nancy Pelosi, not Krista Sinema. She said she wanted to elect John Lewis to lead the party, and she said he's my hero. Well, the fact that she calls him a hero, publicly embraces him as a civil rights icon, and now is working against the substance of what he stood for is, to me, speaking peak toxic white lady energy. Not even read anymore. That's their, that's their thing. Nobody's reading, doing this. Obama doctor. He needs a cognitive test. The dude's fucking out of it. They don't care. And then NBC admitting this. I mean, look at that. Why would you believe anything these people put? They're part of the Democrats. But yet we have Republicans rolling around going, Trump's so bad. Even though Everything they ever said is a lie. I don't even like the guy. I never supported the guy. Everything was a lie. And now they're outright admitting they never talked about the lab because they didn't want to look like they were racist. They didn't want to help Trump. Literally in there. At the time, it was scary to be associated with Trump than speak the truth. We find Rebecca Jones is a fucking psycho that was fired for being a psycho, but we carted her around. Then we get into the Advani. They've urged judge to hand a very substantial prison term for Mike Advani for disgraced lawyer who tried to extort millions of dollars from Nike. I'm just going to blow it up. This is your media. This is who they are. They are part of the Democratic Party. All in. All of it. He was the greatest thing ever. He was better than Trump. He told them he should fucking run for president. Then we find out America's mainly got news via social media, knew less about politics and current events, heard more about some unproven stories. And who were they? Liberals. Because it's all censored. You can't fucking say anything on social media anymore. Because it's all right-wing shit. They've trained a generation. Well, if it comes from Fox News, it ain't, it ain't true. And then we have this shit. I'm just going to put the picture up. Oh, I didn't do the picture. I was going to do the picture of this fucking toad. This, this is the guy who won't have conservatives on a show. If you don't accept the premise, it's going to be a painful interview. The moderator, Meet the Press, says he's stopped using the platform, which he compares to quitting smoking. But he still allows for the occasional hit on Twitter. 
At 5 a.m. in the morning, I still better than any AP wire. I definitely don't even bother with Twitter. Basically, when the summit out or at night when the sun goes down, unless I'm watching a sporting event, I'm curious to see, hey, what do they think of Durant tonight? Todd pointed to group think that President Joe Biden could not win the Democratic primary in 2019. Democratic primary campaign should have been a wake-up call for our entire industry. There's too many journalists think that what is said and happens on Twitter is representative of any sort of entity. It's representative of the 7% of the people that are on Twitter. While he's mostly off Twitter, Todd has been expanding his presence on air. In addition to hosting Meet the Press, the venerable Sunday show and long-running program on American television, Todd also hosts MTP Daily on MSDNC and Meet the Press on NBC streaming platform Peacock, the season finale in which airs tonight. In between the many hours he spends on air, Todd is also a political director of NBC. That's why they're fucked up. The expansion to meet the press brand is something that Todd has been committed to. I'm in a memo that I wrote 12 years ago that we got to be careful that meet the press brand can't get stuck just to be a Sunday show. It's bigger than that. Meet the press reports a 30-minute show that debuted last September, focused on a single topic, allowing for more avenues of coverage. And with Peacock NBC streaming service, we have real estate now, and it's all liberal. Completely liberal. The guy's a liberal. He's married to Jennifer Mary's bestie, who was the campaign manager of, of Hillary. That's why he wouldn't ask any questions of Hillary when she came on the show. He's a fucking toad. I'm not reading the rest. He just basically says it's okay, completely okay, to be biased. Not talk to conservatives. Conservatives are bad. They're all bad. They're all bad. But as we segue into military, if he would do his job, he'd be talking about Camilla Harris before and after. People who are fleeing murder capitals of the world. There are children who are fleeing murder capitals of the world who have fled, most of them, murder capitals of the world. We have families that are fleeing murder capitals of the world. A mother who pays a coyote. Imagine a mother who makes a decision to pay a coyote. When a mother pays a coyote, often through a caravan, with a coyote even, to transport her child through their country of origin, through the entire country of Mexico, of traveling through the entire country of Mexico, to transport her child across the entire country of Mexico. Through the entire country of Mexico. It was safer for them to take that trek through Mexico. Facing unknown peril. Facing unknown peril. Facing unknown peril. In what they know could be a perilous journey. We have always presented ourselves as being a nation of strength with strong arms. The strong arms of of America. Part of the strength of our nation is supposed to be that we have strong arms. That when people are fleeing harm, we will embrace them. Which will embrace and protect anyone fleeing or facing harm. Should be here to, to receive anyone who is fleeing harm. I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come. Do not come. But what does Donald Trump do? But what does this president do? He virtually looks at those children and says, go back to where you came from. 
not to flick them away and say, go back to where you came from. And that's the kind of policy we've had from this administration. He says, go back to where you came from. That is not reflective of our America and our values, and it's got to end. And I believe if you come to our border, you will be turned back. If you come to our border, you will be turned back. to yes thank you for the spelling my spell check can never get privileged so it's always spelled wrong and so I completely own that thank you for the correction I have two analogies for you to think about because the the systemic structural piece I think is hard for American audiences to wrap our brains around because we're informed by a political uh, a tradition called political liberalism so I'm going to give you two analogies to sort of help you think about the systemic nature of racial and gender inequities. The first is uh, free Wi-Fi. Raise your hand if you'd like free Wi-Fi. Does that sound like a good deal? It's a good deal, right? So let's imagine that you get free Wi-Fi. You're not really sure how. One day you're out talking to your neighbor um, and you're blonde and, and he's blonde and you're like, you get free Wi-Fi? He's like, yeah, I get free Wi-Fi. Do you know why we get free Wi-Fi? I have no idea. A few days later, you're out talking to your neighbor who's a redhead, and you're like, dude, do you get free Wi-Fi? No, I don't get free Wi-Fi. Well, how much do you have to pay for Wi-Fi? Well, I have to actually pay twice the going rate. So not only do I have to pay for it, I have to pay twice what everyone else has to pay members of the military thinking tonight about the commander-in-chief. And Trump is heading to Georgia to stump for Republican runoff candidates. But is there an influence even greater than the president? I always vote for the candidate that most aligns with my Christian faith. And breaking news, 109 House Republicans defying President Trump tonight, joining with Democrats to override President Trump's veto of the $740 billion National Defense Authorization Act, a sweeping defense bill that also included a pay raise for the men and women risking their lives to serve our country. And still with me is retired Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. It has been a year since the president's impeachment, which really upended your career and life. Both, both you and your twin brother were removed from your post at the NSC, and you ultimately left the army after intense pressure from the president and his allies uh, to deny your promotion to colonel. Given that everything you went through, 
Um, did the top brass in the military do enough to support and protect you? The, the bottom line is, is no, they haven't. And I think in certain ways they probably have misrepresented um, the Secretary of Defense, a former Secretary of Defense, Esper, probably misrepresented the amount of uh, support I was receiving. At no point did any senior leader, uh, a civilian or military, uh, attempt to contact me and uh, you know indicate that, that, that I was still in good standing in the military. Um, certainly, after I left the White House, I had no contact with, with anybody that uh, could have indicated that you know I, my military career was would would move forward um, as normal. It's really disappointing to hear um, because you know you and I both as small children came to this country as political refugees fleeing the Soviet Union. Uh, you famously testified that your dad shouldn't worry about you telling the truth because quote here right matters. You know the last time someone questioned my loyalty or called me a Russian sympathizer was maybe in third grade. Yet you have President Trump and members of Congress questioning your loyalty after coming forward. Republican Senator Marsha Blackburn famously tweeted uh, Adam Schiff is hailing Alexander Vindman as an American patriot. How patriotic is it to badmouth and ridicule our great nation in front of Russia, America's greatest enemy? Um, she's not alone. Other members of Congress did the same. Trump may be leaving, but those lawmakers are still in office. So what is your message to other immigrants who may want to serve this country in some form of capacity and look at that and say, you were right and you were punished for doing the right thing and maybe here right doesn't matter. What is your message to them? Sure. So I think that in, in the end, uh, I have no regrets about how things turned out. Uh, yes, I, I left the military unforeseen. I had every intention of staying on, going on to War College. But I, I think my role may have been in certain ways more important in that I, I was able to uh, do my part, defend this nation in a very uh, meaningful manner and expose a corruption by the chief executive. Uh, and I, I feel in that regard that I've served my nation uh, and I've had the privilege to serve with countless military officers, civilian personnel. I think one of the, many of those folks were on display as witnesses in the impeachment hearings. And uh, the United States had a chance to see the excellence of, of these individuals. And that's what I kind of see uh, immigrants uh, latching onto, not the negative and the, the costs associated with this particular administration, this, this president, uh, who frankly acts more like a, 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 a child, uh, highly impulsive, uh, and you know the normalcy that people have, uh, have come to expect from our leadership. We should have known it was happening. It's a Navy EO officer pushing the woke. And then Vindman. He was never an officer. He was a... I never would have spoke like that in uniform. I didn't even have ideas like that. Tomorrow we hand over Bagram. Not that important, though. We're too busy doing woke. We're just doing woke. That's that's what we do. We now find out about this, and it's kind of sad because basically the vehicle was fucked, or that helicopter, and they were trying to plane it out. It didn't work, and then they crashed. Same with this. Flight hour problems.
And I'm showing this because this is important stuff, but our leaders in the military, and not to channel Tucker, the reality is we're not worried about this. What we're worried about now is woke. We want to indoctrinate the military so they can get, um, you know, they, they can own it. They want to own it. This is embarrassing. 1,900 weapons have been stolen since 2010 to 20, nine years. Nine years. That's fucking insane. Not important. You know, not. This is important. Very important. In the budget. Worry about training? Nope. And then we accidentally attack a Bulgarian warehouse. Hmm, interesting. We get a woman with some snafus. Then her first statement after... All right, she comes in, she makes the statement, and this is her first message. Is this about war or is it about politics? You, 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 ask, you answer me. The Army must man, train, equip, and modernize to be ready to fight today, but also meet the demands of uncertain and predictable future. Seeing our modernization programs who successfully remain a top priority so the Army is ready to meet future challenges. But to maintain readiness of the force, she adds, the Army needs to... Uh, Eliminate harmful behaviors. There's no place to arm for sex harassment, assault, domestic violence, extremism, or racism. So basically your priority is woke. We find from surveys, LGBT, because the T is now in and they didn't do it in this article, they're more likely to be sexually assaulted than their heterosexual peers, but buried within it is they're being sexually assaulted by other gays. That won't get out. It's just like a story I've told so many times on this podcast. Private Winchell beaten to death. The Army's got a homosexual problem. We treat them like shit. We call them faggots. But it was a gay guy who was in love with a tranny who beat another guy because a straight guy talked him into it, but the state guy, straight guy was probably questioning. Big news this week. We're going to opt a gay rights icon because he was kicked out. Not giving out congressional men of honors or important shit. We're rolling out fucking pregnancy uniform. I mean, this is just like a Carlson article. We're rolling out body armor for girls' boobs because that's such an important thing. And then we find out the guy, white people are the problem. Just like a Vinman, these are good things. This is, this is who we are now. This is our military. This is why guys are getting out in droves. Everybody's leaving because it's just a fucking clusterfuck. These are his statements. I know the BC Today said if you're a white male... You are part of the problem. Understand that what he meant is that if you aren't working to solve the problem of Sharp or EO, you're part of the problem. Complacency is the issue. That's why he immediately followed the comment with example and making a correction even in private. If you or your soldier have any questions about what 
was said today. Please have them come talk to me or Sarfles, blah. Make sure this gets down to the lowest level. I mean, that's racist, but we'll just ignore what I, I guess. To late, he is racist to white people in my eyes. Well, my buddy just told me he started a full investigation. We know how that goes. Someone told me he's under investigation. Let me know if you can confirm that. That's the word on the street. He said that anyone who wasn't a white male would be afraid to call out something that made them uncomfortable and ramble about Blah, blah, blah. I said that 0.01% of the accusations are false and that he will always believe you, which kind of set a dangerous precedent in my eyes. That's him. That is him. Now, I've met some liberals in uniform, but they were never this bodacious. Nanya Bidness. Obviously, some white male, since Lieutenant Colonel Rolls himself, are working very hard to be part of the solution. Or did he say, if you're a white male who won't say something when you see a problem, you are part of the problem? I don't know, but I'm sure of what he meant. Ultimately, the attacks on him are a simple case of hit a dog will holler, and there are a lot of white males who must have recognized that they are definitely the problem, and those dogs are hollering because they really don't like what he said. No, that's not the point. That's not the point at all. The point is, we have all these articles from Task and Purpose about it's bullshit and you're helping the enemy when that's your whole strategy. You don't have a strategy to beat China or even stop Russia. Hell, we were going to give them weapons, but fuck that. We're going to do that now. We're going to let them take over. It's all about extremism and getting woke and re-educating. That's what it's about. To the soundbite, U.S. Naval War College is now giving lectures on critical race theory. Here they say free Wi-Fi is racist. Whoa, tell me where I can get some of that free white people Wi-Fi. Two times zero equals 1619. That's from a black vet. Those pushing CRT are liars and trolls, and they need to be called out wherever they are and fully shunned from society. In a minute, we're going to cover this. I rewatched it. So to important things in the military, they're still trying to get rid of fucking A-10s. And let me say as emphatically as I fucking can, go fuck yourself. In fact, I meant to have this. Hold the phone. Hold it. Hold the fucking phone. When I was a podcast, not a vidcast, and clearly... I haven't hung this in a long time. There was an A-10 on top of the microphone. That's how we fucking rolled up in this hood. Because this motherfucker... is the most important aircraft to a combat grunt. And without this important aircraft... A lot of people are going to fucking die. Alright? Die! So stop it. We need A-10s. I meant to do this earlier. We're just going to hook this bad boy in to get back with the program. Because we used to roll like this all the time. A-10s. Stop, Air Force. Shut the fuck up with that crap. 
The Army's pulling 30-millimeter auto cans from strikers, talk to some people about this, wasn't that good of an idea. It's a very high balanced vehicle someone made a knife hand axe and it actually works that is the sexiest shit ever because this this was threatening in my army now just not believing joe biden's bullshit and woke and the green new deal does oakley came out with this dumbass shit and i don't understand who's wearing those glasses and then to the most important part of our show Back in uh, Fort Irwin, there was an officer. He just came, came from the Hunter First. He was a 327th guy. And he came back after the OEF-1. Excuse me, OIF. And I'd already been out there. I was like three months from retirement. And I was fat as fuck. We didn't do PT. I'd taken my last PT test. Sergeant Major said, you don't worry about it. No height and weight. You just relax, brother, because in three months, you're the fuck out of here. So I was eating DiGiorno's two at a time in a toaster oven. Not as easy as it sounds. That's, you got to cut it in half. It's a lot of work. Just saying. Because I lived in a van down by the river. And uh, we were playing baseball, and I heard an officer say, who is that fat fuck? His name was Sid Brookshire. And, of course, I was offended as shit. Like, I, I've done my 20. I'm getting the fuck out in three months. But he didn't know that. He didn't know anything. That day, I never spoke to him. He never spoke to me. He drove out to my hood, my little camper, all by myself on a pile of rocks in the middle of fucking by the water tank in Fort Irwin for any vets. And he took his helmet off. And I came, hey, sir, what's up? Saluted him, all that kind of shit. But I wasn't really friendly because, you know, it's fucking rude. I mean, I was fat. It's truthful. And he apologized to me. Over the next three months, I found he was one of the greatest guys ever. Great officer. Did his command time. Christian man. Four kids. I'm trying to do this out crying. He goes back. And he get killed. He gets killed by an IED. They found the axle half a mile away. That's how big it was. He was a really good man. I wore his bracelet for years. It really affected me because up until that point, I had people I knew of who had died. This is a guy I knew. And I was carrying severe survival guilt. And his death hit me. I thought of his kids. What a shitty way to go. He was about to change. He was going to change command. He was moving on. Well, we opened a store at Fort Stewart. And they have... A veterans of a fallen walk with so many soldiers. I couldn't finish it the first time. I literally the the peace of the place. The there's birds, it's this huge field, it's just so moving. So moving. 
and I've made it my personal job to maintain this. Uh, not seen because I didn't take a photo. Every time I went there, I put a one-inch glass bead on it. And over time, they throw them out. I changed the wind chimes three times. The first thing I would do when I'd go to that base is pay my respects to Sid Brookshire. He was a good man. It's hard to find a lot of good men, especially in the officer corps, because i got to admit, as we're seeing with the new woke, they're about their career. They're all doing the Petraeus, General Petraeus. He was one of the only guys that didn't bother me when he got shit-canned. That's another story for another day. But he was a good man. So he died, this time frame, the 20th, and I wanted to pay respect to him. I wish I could go to his tree and put a beat again. Maybe someday I will. So we're going to play taps for Sid Brookshire. And in a very uncomfortable segue, go to Everything is Racist. been at this nexus of sort of online propaganda and how online propaganda is used to sort of create issues out of thin air. And frankly, buddy, this feels like an issue that was created out of thin air by a couple of producers at right-wing media outlets. And all of a sudden now, school boards all over the country are dealing with something that they didn't know was an issue. There are no good apples out there. White people make my blood boil. When you say there are no good apples out there, uh, yeah. What do you what do you, what kind of claim are you making? I'm talking about people have this idea that um, racism is something that if you're consciously racist or if you're a Klan member, and I'm sort of making the claim that racism is something that is unconscious and it is actually in everyone, and everyone 
uses these words systemic. They're like, you know, I, I, you, I'm, I know that racism is systemic. And yet individually, when you call them out, they'll, they'll be like, well, it's not me. You can't say that. And so there's a disconnect between use of the word systemic and saying that racism is everywhere. But the moment you point it out individually, there's sort of people disown their own violence and racism. Would it be fair to say, based on your expertise, that white people are psychopathic? I think I I think so. Yeah, I mean I think that there's many lies that, and I had didn't get to that part because this what I delivered was only um, part of a first series of talks. But the way the level of lying that white people do that has started since colonialism, we're just used to it. Absolutely, Juneteenth is a holiday about emancipation. The day was June 19, 1865, when enslaved African-Americans in Galveston, Texas, learned that they'd been legally free more than two years earlier. Many black Americans have celebrated that day for nearly 156 years. And now the rest of America joins us with President Joe Biden officially signing Juneteenth into law as a federal holiday. But Juneteenth is elevated at a time when the truth is under attack in America. Lies about the so-called dangers of critical race theory have spurred legislation against teaching what is normally taught in law schools. The 1619 Project has grown up politicians throwing tantrums worse than the children they don't want reading it. And a big lie about a president who lost an election he won't let go of had our capital in pure chaos with criminals parading as patriots. So naturally, the truth that Juneteenth represents that America doesn't always live up to its principles in real time, that's a hard pill to swallow for some, but a necessary history lesson for all. Juneteenth reminds us of the perils of preaching we are a free and equal nation. In you talk about critical race theory, which is pretty much gonna be teaching kids how to hate each other, how to dislike each other. That's pretty much what it's gonna, that's pretty much, I don't care say, it's pretty much what it's gonna all come down to. You gonna deliberately teach kids? This white kid right here got it better than you because he white? You gonna purposely tell a white kid, oh, the black people are all down to suppress. How do I have two medical degrees if I'm sitting here oppressed? How do I get, first of all, time up, because I only got five minutes now, not five minutes. Two medical degrees, no mom, no dad in the house, worked my way through college, sat there and hustled my butt off to get through college. You gonna tell me somebody that looked like all y'all white folks Kept me from doing that? Are you serious? Not one white person ever came to me and said, well, son, you're never going to be able to get nowhere because you know the black people. But guess what? What's sickening about this whole thing is what y'all doing right now is already something I do in my community right now to speak out against stuff because black folks are getting told by other black folks, oh, you know you ain't going to be able to do nothing out there in the world because them white folks ain't going to let you get no. Oh, you know you're not going to be able to do it here because you know, the, white, the, the white man, the white man going to keep you down. Well, how did I get where I am right now if some white man kept me down? How am I now directing over folks that look just like you guys in this room right now? How? What, what, what kept me down? What oppressed me? I work for myself from off the streets to where I am right now. You gonna sit there and tell me this lie of critical race theory? Of this, this, this the reason why black folks can't get ahead because of white folks? Are you kidding me? This is what we come to now. I can't believe we even talking about this right now. The last thing I'm gonna say right here is something that's crazy. Martin Luther King said he wanted his kids to grow up in a world where they are judged by the contents of their, what? Character. Their character. I know I'm a white guy in a Hawaiian shirt, so by their definition and the new strategy to combat fucking white people from speaking or, or conservatives or I don't even know what they're after. All I know is this is a critical part. And I could have paid about 20 minutes of Joy Reid, everybody. Well, just here's the easiest way. Here's Lemon and Cuomo. 
Tell me if this makes any fucking sense at all. ...about who is telling it, mm-hmm. right? So if you are the person who happens to be telling the history, you're going to tell it in your favor. And the best way to correct that so that um, some people aren't uh, over-indexed in the history of the country is to have all voices, as many voices as possible, included in that history. You know, I had somebody today saying, well, you know, I, I'm just, I'm worried. I want... In the telling of that history, Go I don't on, want sorry. people lecturing my kid like, hey, you're white, you're bad because of this and this. I said, why do you think that's what it will be? Mm-hmm. I said, that's the only problem, is your perception. Why wouldn't want your, your kid to understand the roots of slavery and the legacy of slavery, how it is played out for enslaved people as a culture throughout the years? Why wouldn't you want that? You don't think that telling people that they were beaten and sold and lynched makes them feel bad? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's, right. That's, that's exactly right. Your, so that's all Nobody's I, happy to hear. That's your idea of, uh, that's the whole thing about what privilege is, is that you, 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 people don't like to have their pleasure interrupted, their peace interrupted. And so people think that it should be the way that it should be because they have been taught that right. in, in, in this country. But, you know, telling people, having people come to the realization, especially ancestors of slaves, that they, they were enslaved and that they were beaten, that they were sold, that they weren't able to accrue wealth, that they weren't able to go to school, they weren't able to go vote. You think that makes them feel good? So the folks on the other side, stop making it about you. It's like Kendi X. They can't define it because it's bullshit. But they'll research it. We won't research who did BLM, finance, ATM, where BLM's money went. We'll do this. This is all the red flags of dark money, uh, astroturf campaign, critical race theory battle, invade school. This is the same rigorous adherence to facts and evidence that helped you bring down Brett Kavanaugh. This is a timely reminder that Jane Meyer still has a job even after Kavanaugh debacle. But they, they ran with it. Everybody did. Then we have Christopher Rufo, and I'm going to go through this quick because you probably already know about it. But Lockheed Martin, because corporate America feels they have to do it. And then you get in here and you see the usual shit. It is fucking extremist saying your white guilt, doing this, doing that. I, I, I could go through it, but why? We, we've seen this a million fucking times. Brad, Brady Zakarzowski, what's her name? Zadronsky. Critical race theory is a new antiphon. It's just so frustrating to see this boogeyman political tactic work over and over again. Yep, it's a right-wing rotation with woke and socialism. CRT is transgender bathrooms and Dr. Seuss is Dr. Fauci until something sticks. She then comes out and praises this. And though it's factually just bull fucking shit. Then we see her on TV talking about it because you know MSDNC loves this shit. It's hard for me as a reporter because I don't want to put uh, foils in a bad light, right? Freedom of information laws are wonderful things, but it is in fact a tactic of um, national and just hyper and and, uh, fast growing local organizations to use onerous public records requests. So what we'll see, what we saw in Maine is asking for all of these records requests of, you know, how much money did you spend on anything involving race? And then that is used to sort of um, frame again, the school board as being, um, as, as paying for, for, um, uh, CRT, which again is just not the case. And so that's what happened there. In Nevada, we saw, um, again, this local group called uh, Nevada Family Alliance, who was really known for trying to get um, Drag Queen Story Hour stopped at the local libraries. And now she, one activist there told me that this was the opportunity she had been waiting for. So- 
See, they get off on this shit because it assuades their white guilt. All right. For most of these liberals and TV people, they kind of feel bad that they're rich as shit. And then it's their hate. I, I'm. This is just wow. We're in incredible danger. The GOP's assault on education and history is based on Nazi ideology. I've said it on the show a million times. These people are so well-versed on Nazism. I don't know anything about Nazism. Nothing. But I'm a white supremacist because I'm white and I wear a Hawaiian shirt. I'm a Nazi. Jared Yates Sexton, who is dog troops, American flags, he's just a piece of shit. This is long, but this this is this is the other part. It's a tool of hate where they can tell you what to think. They can cancel you. They can ruin their lives. These are the people that weren't popular in high school, and then they found they had power because they could go out and be woke. And it's their new religion, and it's how they win elections because they fear-monger soft-minded people who actually believe it's worth reading Kendi X. And maybe we should listen to him. A guy that can't even divide, he can't define racism. Because his definition of racism isn't what racism is. It's actions towards another person. Violence. Slurs. It's not policies that could be construed because you're not getting a fair break because you're a fucking loser. Honestly, I don't know how to stress this enough. The GOP assault on education and history is fascist attack based on Nazi ideology and obsessed with power control and the potential murderous white supremacy. We're in incredible danger. Really, that's all what you're doing. Yesterday, a political measure forward him. This is what got him all fucking fired up. Then he goes into his diatribe. Underneath all this concept of cultural Marxism or the idea that there is a secret conspiracy by communists, Jews, and liberal traitors to destroy the culture of the country and unseat systems of power, it is paranoid fascist and can be murderous. Hmm. Hold on a second. Didn't we just go through it? We just went through anti-Semitism. Here is a guy that C.J. Wirleman... Is this racism? Make you feel revolted, disgusted, and outraged. Now, I know what you're thinking. What on earth are these kids being arrested for in the first place? Typically, it's for throwing a freaking rock at Israeli armored vehicles or machine gun nests. Are you seriously okay with this? And by you, I actually mean US citizens, because it's you guys who underwrite these atrocities with your tax dollars to the tune of $4 billion per year. So my question to my American friends, colleagues, and family is this. Why is it that you don't know about the rape and torture of Palestinian kids in Israeli custody? I mean, it's not like the news media doesn't have this information. Heck, even the always asleep at the switch United Nations has condemned the rape and torture of Palestinian children, saying, and I quote, we express our deepest concern about the reported practice of torture and ill treatment of Palestinian children arrested, prosecuted, and detained by the military and the police and about the Israeli government's failure to end these practices in spite of repeated concerns expressed by treaty bodies. What the UN found is this, that Israeli occupation prisons are operated in the same way CIA black sites and Guantanamo Bay was used by the United States to circumvent the United States Constitution and criminal justice system, which in fact is just a fancy way of saying Palestinian children are being raped and tortured in secretive dungeons that are well beyond the reach of the courts, media and you. We must also recognize that the interrogation techniques used by Israeli soldiers are forbidden under international law, but then again, one must ask, when has Israel ever been bothered by international human rights law? We are, after all, talking about a 70-year-old country built on racism, colonial dispossession, and genocide. 
So the next question is this, why do Israeli soldiers rape and torture Palestinian kids? Well, the answer to that is twofold. One, to exact forced confessions in order to legitimize Israel's military occupation of the Palestinian territories. And second, to collectively punish the Palestinian people, a strategy meant to crush their hopes for liberation and equality. Now, if I were to tell you exactly how Palestinian kids are arrested and interrogated, I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't believe me because, well, to be real, it's totally bonkers and fundamentally deranged. But here it goes. The majority of his arrests occur during violent midnight house raids, whereby Israeli soldiers break into the homes, point guns at the parents before blindfolding and handcuffing the kids and taking them away to undisclosed locations in the back of windowless military vans. When they arrive at a detention facility without their parents or presence of an attorney, these kids are then stripped naked and handcuffed to a chair before being interrogated for hours while at the same time denied access to food, water and a toilet. Often, they are bribed with food and water in exchange for a confession. When a confession isn't forthcoming, however, the soldiers then lock these kids in dark cells and solitary confinement, and often for days and weeks on end, bringing them back into your interrogation room every few hours or so where they are subjected to further intimidation, abuse, and threats. It gets worse. These crimes against Palestinian kids have escalated in recent weeks as Israeli forces carry out a wave of revenge attacks against those who have participated in protests against Israel's campaign of ethnic cleansing in East Jerusalem and 11-day bombing campaign on Gaza, which left 258 Palestinians, including 67 children, dead last month. Israeli forces arrested 3,100 Palestinian processors, of which 471 are children, and we're only talking about the month of May alone. It then goes without saying that the lives and well-being of these children are now in grave and imminent danger, remembering that statistically, 40% of them will be raped and 100% will be tortured at the hands of their Israeli kidnappers. Now, it's not only Israeli soldiers who abuse Palestinian kids, but it's also... That's a 12-minute diatribe basically calling them devils. I edited it. It's just lies. It's all lies. He's just making that shit up. Here we go to the good parts. A lot of Hitler pictures in this. Hitler created his power base in his very conspiratory theory and present an existential threat to Germans. The poison of cultural Marxism, he claimed, was making people question the state and was priming them for revolution and required extreme measures. What we are not often taught is that Nazi controlled Germany not just through speeches, but a total domination of culture. What the fuck? Does this guy realize what he's saying? He's talking about himself. This is what the left's doing. But they're saying it's the right because they're stopping the What the fuck? Degenerate art and culture was outlawed and determined as anything that made people Germany greatness and white supremacy. To solidify control, the Nazis banned degenerate art, claiming it was part of conspiracy against the Germans and instead replaced it with culture and reaffirmed their identity and purpose. That's exactly what you guys are doing. We have George Floyd statues, a total fuck up. Where do you find this picture? What resulted was a cult of personality and a suicidal devotion to state and Hitler, and all dissenting opinions were outlawed and culture devoured itself, creating a madness that made fascism, warmongering, and genocide possible. Sounds like the anti-domestic ter terrorist thing, that words, words we don't want to hear, under the guise of that shit, it's anything, boys and girls. This show makes me a domestic terrorist, because I'm speaking against Biden. A prime part of the Nazi totalitarian plan involved the takeover of education, claiming it was indoctrinating students. They took it over totally and predicted made an aggressive engine of actual indoctrination. They captured generations of citizens. Exactly what the left's doing right now in kindergarten. 
Actual information in history was taken from students and it was replaced with propaganda and religious worship of the state and Hitler. The takeover was meticulous, aggressive, and one of the main reasons fascism was able to gain control of foothold and power. Man, you're making me not want to, like, I, maybe I do need to take up arms and be an uh, extremist because that's what you're saying. You're outlining what Nazis did and you're doing the exact thing. But we don't need to start in Germany. In America, the response to the Russian Revolution, the original Red Scare, created the same paranoia. Fear of cultural Marxism in America, the same conspiracy theory that made Nazism possible, spread the United States, creating race massacres, lynching, and general oppression, and hurt people of color, women, LGBT, as well as unions and leftists. That's uh, the Democrats did that. They, he brings in McCarthyism. Then the second Red Scare. He brings in Wallace, because I can't even read this shit. This guy is such a douche nozzle. Civil rights. Then he brings it home. Is this sounds familiar? It should. Black Lives Matter was created as a conspiracy, a manufactured movement that was being directed by shadowy forces and ultimately focused to destroy the American foundation, creating distrust and ultimately leading to the end of the world. Where does he find this art? What we're experiencing right now is the same judo-bolshevik conspiracy theory that animated the Nazis and fascists. It's a different version and update, but it is an animating force of the GOP and the right. It operates exactly the same way and demands action. The focus is George Soros, who is actually financing this. So I, I don't get your point. He actually is financing by capturing the education system, the right intends to forcefully reassert white supremacy. Oh, really? That was a black guy on my lead-in. And yet another front of the GOP's war to dismantle democratic institutions, considering they are historically unpopular, and that white supremacy and hyper-capitalism exploitation. And, and they show the capital again, because they got to. Then they bring it back to him. But make no mistake, this is about CRT. It's about walling off information about instituting patriotic white supremacist education that ensures people don't understand the systems of power and promoting militaristic self-destruction within the population. Things are escalating. We've been watching this for years and trying to warn people. It can and has happened here. This time is an insidious new strain. It's only growing with every passing day. Again, I cannot stress this enough. This is an incredibly dangerous movement and people need to reorganize Recognize it immediately. Denying it and pretending like it's solve itself only. It's a five alarm fault. Calm down. Who runs the education system top to bottom? Not the right. The left has already captured the education system. This is such a damn lie. The right has no such intentions. The left clearly does. The left has been indoctrinating our kids with their ideology for decades. From graphic sex education and kindergarten to outright socialism being taught in colleges. In walks Joy Reid. Open question of those who are afraid of critical race theory, which is being taught in K-12 schools as a course offering in law schools, but not clearly or conflating it with the 1619 Project. What do you want taught? Currently, most case students to learn a kind of Confederate race theory. A normal teenager is desperate now to figure out what the forbidden critical race theory is. I'm proud to announce Critical Race Theory Briefing Book, a policy and communicative guide. So what does Slate do? Conservatives want to cancel Critical Race Theory, but they don't know what it is. It appears neither do you.
because here's AOC. This is pretty consistent with, I think, the Republican base, and it's whether it's trying to fight against teaching basic history around racism um, and the role of racism in U.S. history to, you know, there's a direct through line from that to denying Juneteenth, the day that we, that is widely recognized and celebrated as the symbolic kind of day that to represent the end of slavery in the United States, you know, there's a direct through line between that denial of our history and wanting to understand the full scope of our history and celebrating the end, a major end of injustice in the United States. And I think it's a, it's a shame, but there's also plenty of wonderful allies that helped us pass this vote today despite that. And so um, I'm very thankful to all of our colleagues, um, including the white men in the Republican caucus that said, okay, fine, we'll vote for this or on this one too. 40% of the country knew what Juneteenth was. This movement doesn't even recognize the American flag. Now we have black parents walking into schools saying, what the fuck? Cuomo, they can't explain what fucking critical race theory. It is based on a lot of the 1619 doctrine. They're afraid there'll be car sales. They don't want that. They're bashing ultra-right-wing Southern Baptists. There's a whole thing about we're really scared or really angry about the Catholic Church not recognizing Biden. Biden. Because he's for shit that's, you know. No. No. You made up shit. That's what you did. Here's CBS on the church, because this this is their new kick. Well, the same old kick. There's another battle that can directly affect the church-going president. The debate centers around whether Roman Catholic politicians who also support abortion rights should be allowed to receive communion. Whether in Washington, his home state of Delaware, or even in England this past weekend, one thing is constant. President Biden heads to Catholic Mass. But the president's faith is under a new spotlight this week as the nation's more than 200 Catholic bishops gather virtually. Among the topics to be discussed, whether high-profile Catholic politicians should be denied communion if they support abortion rights. The decision to give communion is still up to each of the country's more than 200 diocesan bishops. Washington's Cardinal Wilton Gregory says he plans to give communion to the president. San Francisco's Archbishop Salvador Cordiglione one of the most vocal critics of politicians who support abortion rights, will be part of this week's discussions. Thank you, Madam Speaker. Um, I'm with CNS News. The Supreme Court this fall will review a Mississippi law that bans most abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Is an unborn baby at 15 weeks a human being? Let me just say that I am a big supporter of Roe v. Wade. Uh, I am a mother of five children in six years. I think I have some standing on this issue as to respecting a woman's right to choose. Is it a human being? Yes. Yeah, yes, ma'am. Oh, Evan. Who is it? Hi. We're playing Monopoly. No, nobody, nobody go away. No, nobody wants to I play. like Monopoly. Our Monopoly is different. Like, our rules are really different. Okay. I mean, I'm game if you are. Oh, amazing. I love Monopoly. Come in. Yeah. Oh, Randy's here, too. Hey, what's up? Okay, so Evan, you roll the dice and then move your token, and then wherever you land the property, we all buy it together. 
Okay, so everybody take a token. How much is this for? Can you hand me one, Sure. Oh, oh Evan, you, you want to try and land on the community fridges. Because then you'll get money from the community garden if you land on the fridges. Just in case you run out of money. Uh, Alright, so everyone starts off with 500 burning bucks. Wait, so how you play, you can't get a monopoly? No, capitalism is white supremacy. So, Evan, you'll be a freshman next year? Yeah, I'll be a freshman next year. Yeah, but we're gonna get to play together when he makes varsity. And he's totally going to, because he's so good. Maybe you want to come to a game? Cool, I love baseball. Yeah. No, you don't. You said all professional sports are just male-dominated, money-making, rapist-defender organizations. No, I did not say that, just some. Anyway, I don't even know if they'll let me try out since I'm trans, so I don't know. Well, then we'll boycott or protest or whatever you need. Also, Jesus Christ, Renee Richards. Mm -hmm. All right, here we go. Are you guys brothers? No. Do we look like we're brothers? We're on a date. Oh, so are you going to touch penises? That's every day in our... This is what they're feeding kids. This is what they're feeding kids. That's a Leah Dunham show. We're, we're shoving that down kids next. We're just... We're, we're just... Everything they say is a lie. Everything they fucking say is a lie. It's just all a lie. It's always a lie. It's never grounded in truth. It is seriously just horseshit. It's horseshit. It's horseshit. I, I, it's like talking to kids. And then this is on Twitter, bashing Waffle House. He lost a bet, and he had to eat Waffle House. And if he did a uh, Waffle House a day, and they thought it was cute. But where I live, uh, we like Waffle House. But once again, that's redneckages. Just redneck people. Horrible people. And so are these people in our This Is America. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America. 2021. Obama's not alone in describing the current environment as a threat to the nation's democratic system. President Biden has done the same, as have other Democratic lawmakers. And by the way, some Republican lawmakers as well. I just wonder, in your view, who, given the severity of those warnings among Democrats, is providing the leadership to respond to that? I mean, if that is the true crisis and challenge to this democracy, in effect, what are Democrats doing about it? You have been leading an effort uh, since you left Congress to deal with the issue of revenge porn uh, and uh, on the Violence Against Women Act and really th these issues altogether about what women endure and should not endure. What is the status uh, of that fight? It seems like we haven't really heard a whole lot about this progressing. Yeah, so the Violence Against Women Act pact passed the House in March. And since then, there has been there has been pretty much no progress. And 
I get it. The Senate's busy. They've got a lot of must-pass things. There's a this whole standoff over the filibuster. There's the desire to, you know, now work in whatever we can within, res, um, you know, reconciliation. But the right now, women are dying every single day. Um, every 20 seconds, somebody is, you know, a woman in particular is abused by a significant other. Um, and uh, women are shot. 56 women a month are shot and killed by their significant other or a former significant other. Um, and there's all kinds of things that are done in the this violence, this violence against women act reauthorization that would address some of those issues. It's a bipartisan. The New York State Bar Association says New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's directives that nursing homes admit COVID-19 patients increased the death toll among residents. That's according to a report obtained by the New York Post. It also criticized Cuomo for not reversing the mandate sooner, saying it remained in effect weeks longer than necessary. Spokesperson for the state's health department calls the report an example of some politicians pushing their own political agendas. Democrats are going to save democracy because they're superheroes. A woman who sexually harassed a man and a woman and was kicked out of office for it. And we're not reporting the death count. We're not talking about a guy that we lied about for a year and so was better than Trump. Wow. That's just some rough shit. I waved off uh, Generation Kill. If you haven't watched that, rewatch it. That, that kind of hit me. I, I actually hadn't watched it until it came out, but that was in our military section. I missed it. So what do we learn today? Well, what we learned about is they are really good at projection. They can say you're doing something while they're doing it. And our woke takeover of all institutions is really scary. A lot of people will ignore the framework for domestic terrorism, and you'll ignore it at your own peril. Because the verbiage, as in everything, is vague. Pronouns are vague. Sexual orientation is vague. Racial justice is vague. What racism is vague. Juneteenth, the holiday nobody knew about, and only 60% of blacks did. Vague. Everything's vague. They control the world, they control words, they control the culture, they control the country. As they roll out every lie and say, well, it's it's dark money on the right that's financing CRT fights. Just remember you saw the black guy, because that's what I'm saying, and I'm playing on the show, and that's not me selected, that's not confirmation bias like the media. That's literally what I'm seeing in my feed, that's what's coming up. Parents don't want this shit taught to their kids. They don't want a woke takeover. They want to be able to have the ability to train their kids on their values and norms. That's what America is. We have a standard value. Treat others as you want to be treated. After that, the rest of this social construct crap is garbage. And at your own peril, you can just sit and go, well, bad man tweeted, so this is all good for America. Or you can wake up and go, a lot of kids are going to come home in fucking body bags. A lot of cops are going to leave. There's going to be a lot of dead people in the street. Majority black, and it's brought to you by the Democratic Party who brought you Jim Crow. Not the Republican Party. And once again, I'm not GOP, I'm not mega, but facts are facts. And we can continue pretending that the right's stopping a critically important 
form of education for our kids. But seeing how you rolled out the tranny shit and the LGBT stuff and are ramming it down our kid's throat. If I had children, I'd be homeschooling right now. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please share that with your family and friends. And send comments and see all episodes at FOPPodcast.com. You can get links to Rumble and SoundCloud. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs. And we will tune back in on Wednesday, 23 June, year of our Lord, 2021, for another exciting episode full of hurtful shit like this. Because we're a fucking abortion. Oh, wait a minute. They don't believe in abortion either. Abortion, you can kill your kid in college. Thanks for watching, folks. Take care. Uh-huh.